Gaming Guru Podcast. Detail the best gaming podcast in the world. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Gaming Guru Podcast. The internet is awash with, um, I guess, excitement and hype and I suppose a little bit of relief that we finally know the pricing. We know the battle lines are drawn for the next generation of consoles and the next chapter of the console wars. Xbox announced its price a week ago, PlayStation last night, depending on when you hear this podcast, but as of this recording, last night we found out the PlayStation pricing. And obviously it's a bit of tactics, a bit of gamesmanship, and it just ties in perfectly to a subject we want to talk about this week, which is take my money, monetization uh, in, in the current kind of generation and the future generation of games. But as always, my name's Gareth, and I'm joined by Tim down in Cape Town. How are things that What is side? up? What is up? Uh, they're really sunny, really warm for a bit. It's uh, It's gotten a bit cold now. We had a couple more days of rain. It's like... You know, people down in Cape Town, we've had drought for so long. It's, we're just so thankful for the rain, even like at this time of the year. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm also like crazy hyped about the PS5 news and wondering how I can afford it. But, <laughs> you know, this kind of feeds itself into like a larger argument of, you know, can we still afford the games that we play on a regular basis? And the different tactics and methods, mechanics that developers have um been working with and tuning and you know changing over the last over the last couple of years in order to get us to in order to get recurrent user spending get us into the ecosystem get us to spend that money um yeah and it's a, it's a big issue <laughs> yeah it's a big issue yeah, 100%. and it's it's something i've been wanting to like kind of unpack for a while you know but not under the lens of like you know microtransactions are bad because i feel like i tend to jump on that on that bandwagon too much. I want to find the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think what's always been interesting for me is as much as it's the popular opinion to just bitch about um, what uh, microtransactions, the fact is if you look at the top earning games across the different platforms, both console, mobile, PC, all of them seem to have some sort of microtransaction element. So it honestly mm. feels like what we say with our mouths and what we say with our wallets are two very different things. And so let's mm-hmm. um let's jump in and unpack perhaps some of the different types of um, payment kind of uh, ecosystems or, or kind of archetypes. I think traditionally we're all pretty much used to the um, buy a game, get the game, no DLC. This is you know a once-off purchase and play the game until I'm tired of playing the game. Uh, whether I buy it mm-hmm. firsthand or secondhand, mm-hmm. that's traditionally what we've grown up with. That's the 40 to $60 game price, and that is all costs included, nothing else to worry about. Um, and I think that price has pretty much been in play for the longest time. I don't think, you know, in a very real way, games have kept up with inflation. We've been hurt yeah, locally sure. with, with uh, exchange rate issues. And so that's why we've seen our games go from, I remember as a kid saving up 300 Rand to buy a game, now you have to save up a thousand. But um, that certainly hasn't kept up with inflation. In fact, I did the maths the other day. Uh, games should cost about 2,500 Rand based on inflation. Sure. Wow. Um, and, and so, you know, you just look at the inflation rate of other things like 
bread, bacon, uh, soda, um, cars, whatever. They they have certainly gone up in price at a far more aggressive rate than video games have, which mm. you know have pretty much stayed between forty and sixty dollars. We just have been hurt by an exchange rate that's gone. You know, we were buying at three rand to the dollar, now it's like 15, 16 rand to the dollar. Um, Sony have now re, um, released that uh, next-gen games will be $70. So while there's been a, a price, I suppose, uh, dilution is the wrong word, but almost like a, a, a sliding of the price, we've seen games, you know, kind of get more and more expensive outside of that $60 price. This is almost this declaration mm-hmm. that, the new yeah. games will cost $70. That is the new price. Deal with it. Um, and, you know, in a weird way, we've kind of gotten used to it for a while now because mm. um, certainly with exchange rates, and we're used to paying almost the $70 price for a, for a game mm. um, and particularly through traditional retail. So where a disc has to be printed and shipped and stored and insured and all that sort of stuff and all the hands that – that pass it along having to take their cut, I think a move to a more digital space will overall probably see savings for the consumer yeah. because there's not this pressure because of all the middlemen in between for margins to to increase. And mm-hmm. ironically enough, those margins are tiny. I mean, I chat to a couple of people in the retail space and you're talking like 6, 10, max 15% margins. Like, sure. And that's that's really when they're giving rebates when, they, you know? when they're given rebates from the developers to go, hey, if you sell X amount, then you get better margins, but you're talking tiny, like six percent margins. So on a sure. thousand on a thousand rand game you're making sixty bucks. Like not not exactly um you know burning down the door uh, kind of margins yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. And 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 the thing that I find interesting also is this um so you know, taking that traditional kind of like price margin into account, right? Your 40 to $60 is kind of like stuck around for the longest time. It was a very simple time, wasn't it? You know, you buy your game, maybe in like six months later, the um, the developer releases, you know, a DLC or some add-on, some expansion. And like, that was it. And like, maybe another expansion, you know, like we were all up in arms like years ago when when um, like Blizzard announced that StarCraft 2 was going to be like three games. <laughs> Do you remember that? There was exactly. a time when like, I was like, StarCraft 2, woo! And it's like, oh, I have to like buy each campaign like as a sip, as its own game. Like that was wild to me at the time. And that was maybe what, in like 2010 or something? 2010? Yeah. So that was like a decade ago, right? And mm. and that would seem like like mainstay now would seem normal because you know it's not just the the $60 price tag game it's you know all the additions that come with it they've managed to figure out how to effectively tier a release in that way so you know we'd be seeing now $70 for like a standard edition of a game then that's you know still going to be deluxe edition gold edition platinum edition you know whatever they call it the ultimate edition and it's just kind of like the the baseline entry point for getting players into um, this uh, into this online ecosystem where developers have learned how to get these incremental price increases through the gates. Yeah, well, I think let's be honest, uh, we we got used to this from Lord of the Rings, where you go, hey, let's let's um, 
release one movie every year and then hey let's with the hobbits take one book and turn into three movies once a year so then you know blizzard side eye and going hey we could do that with starcraft too <laughs> you know taking one game uh, that we used to kind of one payment play once and essentially giving us you know three games over three years um was it even three years i think it was even longer with starcraft they went no, like a was. year apart they were even further but yeah uh, yeah um that that actually brings to an important issue, which, um, you know, I know we're jumping around a bit in terms of like the different types of pricing models, but the, the breaking it up into DLC is, is certainly one of them. So um, I think we, we debated on the end the, the value of, of DLC or not. Um, I'm personally a fan of DLC in the sense of going, yeah. if the game is complete and the DLC is more of a case of going, if you love the game, here is more, then I think DLC yeah. is great. I think DLC has been given a bad rap by games that are here's 80, you know, instead of giving you hundred percent of the game, we will yes. actively remove parts of the game and make you pay for that later. That for me is yeah. garbage. A DLC should be, Hey, you've loved the game. He has more because what it allows you to do is instead for the people who didn't like the game that much, they're like, no, nah, I'm okay. Playing the vanilla version. And that's all I wanted. Um, I don't need the extra skins or the extra levels because I played the game and enjoyed it enough to, you know, be satisfied with my purchase. And so it lets the real fans, you know, quote unquote, pay more for the extra content, as opposed to going, what we're going to do instead is push all the content to a game and then pay you the, cons you know, charge you the consumer $80 to access all of it. I'm like, leave that, for the the big, leave that for the big fanboys, as long as the game is complete. So, um, yeah. you know, memes of, you know, buying the burger patty and then, you know, having to get the bun and the tomato and the sauces on DLC... <laughs> <laughs> you know, aside, it's a case of going, yeah, get the burger for the normal price, but then the combo meal for an extra price. Yeah. If I don't want, I, I mean, how many times have you been to a place you're like, I don't want the combo meal. I just want the fucking burger. Like, I don't yeah. want the, the combo meal is sometimes cheaper. <laughs> no, fair, fair enough. But like, it, it's often not cheaper than the burger by itself. It's, it's cheaper True. if you had to buy this element separately, 100%. But you want to go, hey, I just want I just want a goddamn burger. Just you know, I don't need the chips and the everything else that comes with it if you just want the burger. And I said I think that in a sense is how DLC uh, should be. But if we jump to yeah. some of the other Yeah, sorry, go ahead. So on that point, I wanted to kind of like um <clears throat> like a good example of that uh and that I've recent experience with was Shadow of the Tomb Raider, where mm -hmm. I think it launched what in 2017, 2018? I think it was 2018. Um, and it was going to have, I think uh, the game had like seven challenge tombs in total. And each one of those challenge tombs was like, you had to like buy it separately. It was like 80, 90 Rand, 70 to 90 Rand per, um, per challenge tomb. And they had this deluxe edition on special a couple months ago. It was like three, like what, like 250 and it was everything. And mm. sure, the game is like a bit old now at this point, but there was no, part of me that was willing to to pay for all of you know that separately like i was playing through it this year and thinking to myself fuck imagine i'd bought the base like version of this game without any of the challenge tombs this game would feel empty as fuck yeah because it's all about the, challenge the best tombs. content it's like what it is, is tomb raider when she's not challenge tuning <laughs> you know yeah, it is the 100%. best content and it yeah, really did yeah. feel like it had been you know sectioned out and and put onto the 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 playstation store you know yeah yeah 100 percent. and so i think a lot of people go by that tactic they 
they either wait for the stuff to be on special or they wait for the like more than likely definitive edition or the egotistical game of the year edition, despite not winning any game of the year awards, um, you know, edition that all these triple A titles come up with. I mean, everything from Assassin's Creed to um, any Far Cry game to Tomb Raider, whatever, they all come out with a game of the year edition, all the content, you know, in one disc. And, you know, you've had to wait, what, an extra six months sometimes for that to come out. Um, but get all the content cheaper than you could have got all the content, you know, on day one. Um, so, I, yeah. So one of the arguments that I want to make is that this uh, sort of hyper-focus on uh, varying types of monetization and recurring user spending within the game's ecosystem, like allocating development time and resources to that decrease the overall quality of the game's experience in general. Like, going back to this Tomb Raider example, um, the fact that all the challenge tombs have been cut out of the game and put onto the store as their own kind of scenario means that the developers now have to, like, that's a loading screen, you know, to get from the game to the DLC patch, you know, moving from one location to another. Like, if you wanted to decrease you know, loading screens and load time overall in that game, you just put that stuff back into like the map, you know? Mm, mm. And that's just like a small example of this kind of push-pull factor that we're finding, you know, with uh, with aggressive monetization in video games and how it's effective overall quality. And we'll probably get to that argument a bit later uh, where, the, we, where people, you know, fix these games over time and patching things. And Yeah, but I think when you mention quality... A key point that people don't take into account is that we've kind of mentioned it loosely before is that gaming is in a weird space because it's priced like a commodity, but it's certainly an entertainment art form. And so you can't tell me, A, that the quality coming out of different studios is the same, and you certainly can't tell me that the resource cost going in is the same, and yet they're all expected to have a game come out at the same price, which for me is it seems ridiculous if you think about that way. I mean, you go to a restaurant and you know that, you know, you go to a McDonald's or a Steers versus you go to some gourmet steakhouse. The quality of the burger coming out is definitely different. The resource costs having gone in, the expertise having gone in are different, but you, you know that the price is going to be different. Like there's no, there's no way you're going like, Hey, at McDonald's, you can get a burger for 30 Rand. How come this burger is 150? go eat at mcdonald's then like that that's how it works you know what i mean you know the quality yeah. is better and you know that the, the labor and 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 the expertise that went into it is different and yet how come there's this weird expectation with games to go no all games must cost this because that's what games cost you know what i mean it's it's uh, ridiculous i paint like the way the way i see it i think we've become entitled to go like games cost x and that's the way it should be and to be honest, it's even harder for studios on console because you have to pay a, a certain level of, of uh, licensing fees for all of it. You know mm. what I mean? It's, um, that's why games on PC are cheaper. People always ask, like, why games are cheaper on PC? Often the performance is better on PC. Um, often they are originally on PC and then ported to console. And it's the fact that, you know, to put that Xbox um, kind of logo on and for it to be, I suppose... 
almost a guaranteed captive market of you know yeah. Xbox or PlayStation players. For that, you pay money. Yeah, it's true. And so I want to kind of you know speaking about paying money now, you know, mm -hmm. kind of um, come towards the sense that certain types of you know monetization are acceptable and some are not and we can kind of look at that and then sort of unpack different kinds of monetization and like how how we sort of feel about each of those so when it comes to like spending extra money over and above the 60 dollar price tag where do you feel that you are comfortable and where do you feel uncomfortable yeah i think um where, where it comes for me is that like, and maybe this is jumping to our conclusion already, which we chatted about is like, when you have this and, and philosophy to your mm. monetization model. So I don't mind that Fortnite or Dota or Apex Legends is a free game and then has all these extra bits, whether they are paid yes. to win or paid to flex or whatever, you know, just to look pretty uh, sort of stuff. I don't mind that. I don't mind shilling out a thousand rand for a game and I don't mind having the uh, pre-order incentives. I don't mind uh, loot boxes. I don't even mind the unfinished alpha game that you buy 40% of the price and then maybe you, you know, get a discount on the full version. I don't mind any of these. My issue is when you have this and, and philosophy of going, we're going to make you have a full price game and it's going to have loot boxes and potentially it's going to have a battle pass. You know what I mean? It's just like, pick a lane no. that that's basically my no. argument when it comes to transactions like do the math you know you've obviously got financial teams especially like the big studios have teams across yeah. multiple different games that they develop that go the best pricing model for this kind of game is loot boxes free game loot boxes that's how we go it's a mm. or it's a, a buy once and that's it or it's a battle pass but when you're going all of them it just a smells of greed but secondly the idea that you haven't really done your research in terms of what is the best model for your ecosystem. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Um, these developers do have teams that, uh, that study purchasing models. They study mm -hmm. how, how we spend our money, how much time we spend in our games, and they can use that data to work out, you know, what the best form of monetization might be for that product. And then you have these companies that will kind of push every button, <laughs> you know, they'll use every tool in the box and see which one sticks or use mm. every tool in the box, see which ones get pushed back and then kind of pull back slightly on those and saying, you know, and say, we are listening to the community. We hear your calls. <laughs> we mm. have learned from this. So then it's like they'll do an overreach and then pull back and then that will be in the PR news cycle. It's, you know. It's a, it's a slight retreat, and that's the story that sticks. Yeah. But for me, I mean, I've bought loot boxes before. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time, they are in, in free games. And I don't, you know, I, I haven't found any, any problem with doing that, particularly in, in, the game, in the free games that I play, that I play often, or used to at least, uh, with Dota mm. 2, with um, Path of Exile especially, just... Just because of their, I mean, their development cycle, they're giving like basically a free DLC every three months with just a, like a totally new game. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's wild what they, what they do for that game. But when it goes into the realm of you've got these loot boxes and you've got a battle pass and you've got the, the tiered releases of the exclusives 
and you know who got early access who didn't you know you you'll get this skin because you bought it you know uh, you pre-ordered all those types of incentives seem to like sour the deal for me and mm. the game itself even though it might be reviewing really well starts to feel a bit like on the nose and a bit cynical yeah and then 100%. i become uncomfortable yeah one 100% i think um Let's touch on loot boxes, I guess, for, for people who might not be aware mm. of the mechanic. And then, you know, I don't want to turn this into the loot box episode because we can talk about this for about an hour. <laughs> but essentially, it's the idea of hiding content behind a casino-style purchase. So yep. you buy a loot box or whatever the, you know, in-game name is for it because they, they will never use that term because it's got all sorts of, like, negative like connotations. But it's a... Uh, weapons cash or a you know something whatever loot chest <laughs> that's a little bit too close but it's the idea that you'll pay a fee whether with in-game currency or real currency and there is the potential to win you know a certain amount and i mean it's not far off buying card packs in games like hearthstone where they'll go yeah. it's a card pack it will have five cards you are guaranteed that one of them is at least rare but other than that, there are no, there are no guarantees. It's if there are five cards. Yeah. And yeah, it's random. Packs, it's, it's gambling, essentially. Yeah, yeah. 100%, uh, it's 100% gambling. They will then often build in certain uh, guarantees. So I know in Hearthstone, for example, they say you're expected to get a legendary at least every 20 packs. And there is a hard, what they call like the pity counter, on 40 packs. So if you have not got one at 40 packs, you will get one at 40. But it's the kind of thing of like if you buy... 50 packs, you're expected to get at least two legendaries. At the very least one, but you expect to get about two. And that's the kind of like guarantee that you're not blowing 50 packs and getting nothing. But other than that, like mm. it's quite possible in your 50 packs to only get one legendary. And it's just like, sorry, you low rolled 50 times. Yeah. But um, that's about it. And it's, 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 it's interesting. You know, I haven't actually like, like loot boxes became obviously like a huge talking point back in 2017 for for obvious reasons. You know, it was um, like EA overreaching with Star Wars Battlefront 2 um, that has now led to real world legislation in various yeah. countries pushing back on these mechanics. And um, but I remember, I mean, like years ago when I was like still big into my Pokemon cards and like I went to Pokemon League and <laughs> Yeah. Like revealing how really fucking nerdy I am on this part this morning. <laughs> um, but, you know, I used to get, space, I used to get the booster packs. I yeah. mean, like, <laughs> I used to get the booster packs. Sure. Okay. I didn't spend my own fucking money. Like, I don't have any. <laughs> or, it was more like a mom, please, please, mom, yeah. please. <laughs> you know, and a lot of these... And a lot of these kids are putting their parents' credit cards into Call of Duty. I think my yeah. my old housemate, her, her younger brother... Um, ended up spending something like 20,000 rand on his mom's like credit card on, on in, in card, dude. Yeah. <laughs> in card. And she had no idea. I think he must've asked her once or twice, like, mom, please, can I, can I you know, can I put your, your credit card details? Yeah, I just want to get this one I've thing and it costs like 10 rand. I've got to go. If your, if your parents don't <laughs> immediately notice 20 grand, then they probably can spare it. Like I, I know that's still a ridiculous yeah. amount of money, even even for you know the the super wealthy for a kid to spend on COD, but it's one of those like if I saw twenty grand leaving my account, it, I would know immediately. It's not it's not one of the things of like, oh, where did twenty grand go? It just kind of like evaporated somewhere. Like, I mean, we, we've you so, fight with tel telcom for a hundred grand overcharging, not 
you know, 20 grand disappearing exactly. on, on loot boxes. So, I mean, like with this kind of historic pushback against loot boxes like, mm. across the world and in legislation, the loot box narrative has changed a lot. Like the mechanic itself has changed. There are definitely yeah. still plenty games with loot boxes in them. Um, but the way that they've designed these loot boxes are are a bit different now. So it's not like it's, it's still chance, but it's chance with at least some type of guaranteed reward, guaranteed. right? Yeah. Like you, you you mentioned this, um, the Hearthstone example. With mm. uh, Dota 2, I remember there was a time when you didn't know what was in the, the chest, you yeah. know? But now there's, they'll show you, there are 10 things in this chest. Do you have the chance to get any one of those things? Yeah. And a lot and of them, they'll have also this a small escalating chance. odds yeah. thing. They'll have a, um, you yeah. can't get duplicates. Uh, so there'll be like 13 items of which 10 are cons- like 10 are normal and three are rare. They'll go, those 10 are guaranteed. Um, and so you won't get a duplicate of only the 10, but the rare ones have a chance to spawn, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. um, but your first and, 10 and boxes, all- you will get every single one of the common items. Yeah, and, and these types of sort of like um, qualifying boundaries for loot box mechanics are in play now because of this legislation. Mm-hmm. Like they have to, like by law, they have to show the odds. Like you need to be I, able to look at it and say, okay, the odds are yeah. this. I, I just think it's weird now that you're getting a lot of developers coming out almost like with pride saying that, you know, their game is loot box free. And, you know, coming from a, a more traditional kind of marketing space where you've got, um, you know, fast moving consumer goods products and all that. I remember you can't, basically advertise an intrinsic benefit of the product as like a marketing benefit. So for example, if your product, say it's rooibos tea, is naturally caffeine free, you can't, you know, climb the rafters and shout that like our product is caffeine free. Yeah, all rooibos tea is caffeine free. You can't go zero calorie water. It's like <laughs> that is that is water. So now going, our games are loot box free. Yeah. All games are loot box free unless you design loot boxes for them. Yeah. So it's not this big accomplishment. You know, a lot of guys are like almost, we created a problem and now it feels like um, Coke coming back with original Coke after, you know, trashing things with new Coke. It's just like, yeah, original yeah. taste. Yeah, why did you make the shitty taste of new Coke? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're fixing your own problem and then like wanting uh, us to celebrate you. It's, it's yeah, really it's, weird it's dynamic. Like, it's like, cheap praise from the from the e3 crowd you know patting yeah. yourself on the back with the arguments basically you know what we could have made this seriously <laughs> fucked up <laughs> but yeah, we chose an, not it's to. an arson uh, arson is putting out a fire and, and going like reward me yeah but not starting the fire in the first place idiot but uh, i i love for example with um ea getting into so much trouble with um star wars battlefront you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, in our chat that it was the most downvoted post on Reddit of all time. Like almost as like a, we did it, guys. Well done. You know, we got the most downvoted post of all time. Yeah, that's, but that type must but, be on a plaque, like in the yeah, headquarters exactly. somewhere. <laughs> but like in the trophy that, room. Yeah, you can imagine some guy just doesn't get Reddit. He's like, we got an award from Reddit. Oh, my word. Put it on the, on the Hall of Fame. But the, the other thing was um, that FIFA remains like besides being one of the top selling games every single year so that irks me because it's a full purchase game that you all that also comes out every year so that feels like milking it anyway you know it's not like a 
comes out when there's a lot of content. It comes out every single year. And then on top of that, uh, FIFA Ultimate Team is like a card mechanic thing that is prints money. If I mean, I don't play FIFA, but I just look at what some people uh, spend every single month on yeah. on foot cards. Like, it is ridiculous. It probably, for most of them, equals what they spend on the game every year. Yeah. And that's why there's been such a huge pushback from from EA and all of these territories where like legislation is basically closing in on their on their primary way of, of making money, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think like what well, was something ridiculous, like seventy percent of their seventy, eighty percent of their revenue last year was from this recurrent user spending in yeah. in their online like economy. And I don't know if you if you saw it was was it uh, a couple like last week, um um, a hashtag that sort of uh, went viral was um, NFL drop EA. Oh, no, I didn't. So uh, people have been noticing, like with these, with, with NFL particularly, that um, it's just same as, same, as, uh, same as the other sport titles. It's one of these annual releases. Uh, but people have noticed that a lot of the bugs are getting worse. Stuff that was mm. fixed in previous versions are now not fixed. They've noticed like banners in game for like uh, NF NH uh, NFL like 20, 2019 in like the 2020 game. So banners that oh, yeah. weren't changed. So basically they're selling you the same game and they just change a couple of banners to the new year. <laughs> and like a couple of, you know, change a few colors here and there. But it's, it's, it's become quite egregious, you know, and, and yeah. quite on the nose. And it gets to the point where, like, yo, are you guys taking the piss or, mm. or what? So, yeah, it started trending. It got quite big. People posting, like, quite in-depth, detailed videos of how this is the same product as the previous year. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, added to that, you've just seen with UFC 4, uh, EA on a full-price game, just dropping full cross-stream, like, across-the-screen ads. It's just like... Yeah. We're just going to run ads in your game that you can't pay to avoid. It's not like most things where, hey, if it's free, you, you know, you're going to get ads. That's kind of how we make our money. Just deal with it. And everyone's kind of got used no. to it. This is like, I paid for the full game and now I still get ads? Like that is, That's some straight up bullshit. And that for me is the, the double dipping or the and and thing that starts pissing me off. Yes. It's like, cool. This is a yeah. free game. I have to deal with ads. I get it. But, you know, like, and that's with most of my kids' mobile games. Um, you know, that he plays on his on his pet on his uh, tablet. It's like cool. He has to deal with ads, and he's gotten quite used to finding the little X as soon as he's allowed to. Um, but if I go and pay the, for the game, which is usually the benefit of like no more advertising, pay for the game. It's like oh, cool, hundred rand, so he doesn't have to see ads anymore that are often not targeted at children or not appropriate for children. But yeah, to pay sixty dollars for a game and still get that, sorry. Someone uh, sound the bullshit alarm because that that's um, straight up bullshit. <laughs> so I, I, I was just wondering like what the bullshit alarm like actually sounds like. <laughs> but that's just me. Um, no, that's more of a storm alarm. I'm not sure. But um, I, I wanted to tap into one of the other mechanics um, that we hinted at, which was the pre-alpha game purchase sort of thing. You know, like... I look at a game like, um, let's use Fortnite, for example. So Fortnite yeah. originally came up as a horde mode. Uh, you know, you face waves and waves of bad guys and it had the purchase price, I think, of like uh, 10 or $15 or something. But Fortnite Battle Royale, which is like when you load up the game, you had to choose whether you're playing traditional Fortnite 
you know, pay for game or Battle Royale mode, which was obviously the super popular game that everyone played, you, you chose which one you want. It wasn't like, you know, this assumed thing that Battle Royale was the mode you want, even though that's what everyone played for. Yeah. Um, and they would keep trying to push you to buy, you know, the other, the real Fortnite, because that was like the game that they actually started this thing on. And, um, and, all sorts of incentives like in the game you can earn v-bucks that you can then spend on battle royale where you you know we're probably wanting the v-bucks and most people who ended up buying traditional fortnite bought it because hey this is another way of earning v-bucks so i can actually you know i think guys are saying that if i do my missions every day after like a month i basically paid off fortnite and then i'm getting constant stream of v-bucks yeah but you still have to play the game that you don't want to play to earn (laughs) v-bucks for the game you want to play but anyway you know it's like that's that's what a job is like doing things you yeah. don't like to earn money to do things you do like like that's <laughs> like why don't you just take a part-time job or like you know anyway um so i guess the the point i'm trying to make is like they released this game that you pay for pre-alpha or beta or like basically incomplete and the classic was uh pubg pubg in its prime was like i think 170 rand game but was unreleased. That's when everyone was playing PUBG. They were all downloading it, yeah, buying it, true. whatever. And then later comes out and the kind of hype's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, another really bad culprit was, uh, what's that one of the dinosaurs? Ark. Um, Ark. Yeah, like you bought Ark at the pre-alpha thing and then you, there was content updates during alpha that you also bought and paid for as a, as a pre-alpha user. And you're just like, what? Yeah. Like, you are either funding this game early so we can finish it or it's free and then when it's finished, you buy it. Like, I'm sorry, you don't get to do to, all of that. Uh, to have the cake and eat it too. I remember, like, what was it, 2017 when uh, PUBG was, like, popping off the lights. Yeah. <clears throat> and still as, like, an early access, you know, um, game, they were still selling... Uh, like skins for like upwards of like a thousand yeah. rand, you know, yeah. a thousand, two thousand rand in some cases for like a skin to like look like you're wearing a trench coat in a game. <laughs> I think it's it's also really bad um, that it's just become acceptable in games when it's something we would never accept in other mediums. You know what I mean? Like, mm. um, imagine for example a movie where we're gonna go, hey, what? You know what? You can watch. Avengers 3 pre-released. You're like, oh man, that's awesome. Cool. I'm gonna get to watch it. And so obviously I'm gonna pay a price to to watch it before. And you know, brilliant. I get to see everything before everyone else. Brilliant. That I'll that I'll pay for. And I'm sure there are fanboys who would go to in the same way as they have those pre-release screenings. But pre-release screening is still the finished movie. It's not a case yeah. of going like, hey, do you want to watch 40% of the movie with like you can still see the wires and the green screens and the whole bunch of shit that like, oh, we'll fix in post before the release thing. No, you're not going to want it. Like you're not going to want to watch that only to then have to watch the real thing when the, you know, the finished cinema release is ready. But it's, it's strange then... how in gaming we've just accepted going, oh no, it's alpha. You can't expect them to have a finished game in alpha. I can if yeah. I paid for it. Like, yeah, and then before like the final boss battle, there's a full screen ad for like yeah. Watch the Boys season two on Amazon now. Hundred <laughs> like, percent, exactly. What, mate? I mean, like thinking about that uh, that you just uh, uh, brought up the um, uh, the EA UFC vibe. So that means that that EA 
that EA's like sales department and like like ad department like sat down and like solicited, you know, um, like work from <laughs> from Amazon who clearly like paid to have their mm. ads fly in a sixty dollar game. So EA sat down and said, yeah, yeah, sure, sixty dollar game. That's chilled. We'll put your ads right in there, man. <laughs> and yeah. after there was clearly pushback of it, like it's, it's egregious. We haven't we haven't actually experienced it before. So we mm-hmm. notice how egregious it is, but I feel like this is the beginning of 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 something uh, that that we'll be seeing a lot more of. And EA is going to try and normalize this type of behavior. So they clearly yeah. overreached yeah. with it. They pulled back slightly in their in their PR like response, being like, "Oh, we've listened to the community. We've heard what she had to say," which is kind of like their their response to all of these um, these things. So it's 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 clearly like uh, a measured and considered like action that they took right yeah like it, it almost you know, feels like like i didn't set like up a, that meeting with amazon it almost feels like a let's try this have the backup pr plan okay it went wrong because we you know we, we're gonna overreach on this one pull back kind of like fallback position not like a oh shit we got caught let's fix it now it's a cool when this gets flagged we'll pull back to here but if yeah. it doesn't then it's kind of like it's also it, someone described it as like the the Trump way of getting what you want. What you do is you want X and it's pretty egregious, but it's not terrible. But what you do is you ask for something ridiculous or you try something so ridiculous that then when you fall back to your original like designated position, people are like, oh, at least it's not their puppy killings. Like that was ridiculous. Yeah. But meanwhile, he got away with, you know, whatever, um, something else pretty yeah. terrible. But people are just like, well, we got him to slide back from that original stance of puppy killing. So, you know, win for us, win for rational thinking all around. But meanwhile, like, yeah, it's the you, you've still lost. You just didn't lose as badly as you originally and, you know, thought you would. And, and I think that that EA have been wanting to do this for a long time. And there was something about their response that was like, you know, we hear you when you say that you don't want to have advertising in this portion of the game so Mm. the ad popped up like in an instant replay like after a knockout which you'd often see if you were actually watching ufc like on tv right same same can be said for let's say like fifa there's so much advertising in the stands like going around the going around the stadium like all that real estate is being used for ad spending and because we've become so used to it, like if we're watching, you know, um, like a soccer match on TV, it kind of just blends into the background. And I think that's what they're trying to do with some of these other titles. They're like, well, if you're watching UFC on TV, it's like we can go for realism yeah. and be like, you know, yeah. during, the, during the instant play, replay, yeah. ads play. It's a realism play. And they can yeah. use that argument and say, you know, but if you want it to be realistic, like ads are in like re- <laughs> yeah, real 100%. life is an ad, basically. So, you know. So yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of it going forward. It's actually a really good point. It's the case of going, it's annoying in real life, and we, we want to make sure that you have that realistic annoyance in your game as well. So. <laughs> yeah. But let, let's jump onto another type of model that's become quite popular, particularly in free games, and that's the sort of battle pass system. Uh, I want to mm. say Dota 2 is probably the first one to do it. Uh, it feels like TI four five so like six years ago where you got the first kind of battle pass with idea was um 
you know, the, they've got this big tournament and they want you to help crowdfund it. And so what they do is they give you all these added extras, whether it's skins or mini games to play or other content. For that, you pay the base level fee, which I think was tiny. It was like $10 or something. Um, and then as you level up your battle pass, which you can grind through playing games, but happens faster if you buy levels. Um, yeah. And then with that, you get more benefits. And ironically enough, not only does buying levels give you instant increases, but there are often tools within those levels that allow even faster growth. So, for yeah. example, you might, if I use a Dota example, they give you these like betting coins. So you bet on a match. So you can bet like a thousand coins. And if you win, you get 2,000 coins. And then those translate yeah. into levels. You get not only more coins as you level up. So maybe at level 50, you get given, instead of your weekly 1,000 coins, you get given 2,000. Uh, or you're given a multiplier. So instead of your wins being multiplied by two, they're multiplied by three. So there are almost these breakpoints where, oh, if I get to 50, then my next 50 will be faster. And if I get to 100, then my next 200 will be faster. So mm. there are like these mini incentives to, I'll just purchase to get to 50 because then I'll level up much faster at that point. Um, Fortnite have used that model to great success um, because how they work really is while Dota had a system of you level up faster when you buy levels, guys like Fortnite would have you get certain rewards uh, that are exclusive to, to Battle Pass owners. So yeah. level one, everyone gets X, but at level two, non-Battle Pass owners get nothing, but Battle Pass owners get this extra thing. And so there was an incentive to, hey, spend the 150 Rand, but then you get more perks. Yeah. I'd say like the, yeah, the, the way that I would uh, describe the Battle Pass um, in terms of like if, if the if the loot box is a surprise mechanic, mm. you know, if if the loot box is a the rewards here, I'm paying like X, but the reward that I could get could be valued at Y. Mm. Whereas the the battle pass is you can see like a timeline with clear roadmap of rewards, and that itself has an entry price to like get onto that roadmap, and then these incremental rewards that you can see in front of you. So yeah. I think it's like a very powerful tool for like in-game recurrent user spending because it's, it takes away that it takes away the chance, but then it also adds like an entry fee okay. and you can see the rewards in front of you. So it's, I think this is going to be like, well, if, if not already is the like kind of the, the go-to replacement for the loot box in in game since loot boxes have you know a bit of a dark cloud around them no matter kind of which way you slice it at the moment just because of all the negative pr battle passes i've only heard good things about them you know i've got good experiences with battle passes my friends have good experiences with them in other games and often yeah. you're finding that that entry point like is so is 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 just enough of a of a hump to like to justify the purchase, but then the rewards kind of pay for themselves at a later stage, even if you want to go and spend more in it. And and, yeah. and like you covered a whole bunch of the incentives around that. But I think the battle pass is definitely one of the stronger, um, stronger like alternate monetization models that uh, many of these popular games are using at the moment. But then you get 
a case like Marvel's Avengers, which kind of overreaches it with the uh, and, 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 and philosophy that we mm. kind of like, you know, covered a bit earlier, where it's, you know, if you pre-order, you'll get this. And if you're playing on PS4, you'll get Spider-Man. And if you're playing on Xbox, you'll get like the Verizon <laughs> wireless <laughs> like uh, skins. Because that's and what I want. each character has their own, has their own battle pass that are all pet that are each paid for it's it's a lot of ands yeah yeah it's um it, it's you know we we complain about the the and and thing that's like i hear you like ands so we put some ands in your ands so you can and while you <laughs> and like and yeah it, it just becomes this endless kind of cash car um and that would be fine if it were a free game or a cheaper than triple a game but you know, when you're expecting you pay full price, and then you still are locking a lot of the content behind more pay gates, which oh, that's another thing is if the content you have the ability to grind still. And I think I want to believe that WoW was one of the first culprits here, um, World of Warcraft, mm -hmm. and then Diablo kind of took it a little bit a step further with the real cash uh, auction house. If you look, if there's if there are essentially two currencies. Time and money. And maybe we're getting a bit existential here in terms of the, the value of work and all that. But you've got essentially two currencies. You're either spending your time or you're spending your money. So when a company hires you, you know, and they pay you, what they're not, they're buying your skills, but they're buying your time. They're buying you putting in 40-hour weeks or 80-hour weeks or however long hard your, your job is. And they pay you for that time because they make their money by adding value to that time and selling it to a client. And I mean, yeah. the most classic is an agency where, a graphic designer is earning 450 rand an hour, but their client, but their agency sells them out to client at like a thousand rand an hour. Um, and you know they they kind of you know in a week's work probably pay their monthly salary then some, and the other three weeks are then just basically profit for for the agency, who yes have to cover overheads and you know costs like rent and your cell phone and your data costs and you know the foosball table and all the other agency. Yeah the beanbags you know um <laughs> but it's but it's this idea that in there's certain games where the grind is so real that certain people who have lots of money but not a lot of time feel like they are instantly locked out of certain content and so that's where you saw wow with people doing like power leveling of your character so you right. would pay some sweatshop in south korea for some 10 year old to like grind your character and then, you know, you go to, you're a lawyer, a doctor, you come back from surgery or, you know, the courts. And next thing you know, you've got a level 90 character that you then pay for because, you know what, you've got money, but you don't have time. Um, yeah. And I think that the problem for me is when certain content is only payable. I, I don't have a problem when you could grind for it or buy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a case of going to unlock X weapon. That's not a pay for to win weapon. It's just a skin. Yeah, buy it or grind the seven hundred hours it would take you to to get that sort of stuff. I also yeah. I have a soft spot for stuff where like you can only get it through grinding because that's the what they call badging uh, in in marketing yeah. where you're going like I want to show that like a COD's a great example. If I've got the diamond skin or gold skin or chrome skin on this gun, I've got the 5,000 kills that it requires. I could not have bought this because then you go, damn, how do I kill something that has no life? 
you know, it's it's <laughs> it's the whole flex of yeah. of getting the skins. But if you know that, like, eh, or oh, he paid the five dollars to get it, it's less of a it's less of a flex and less of an incentive for anyone to put in the hours mm-hmm. to get those guns. I mean, I'm a very casual COD player, but like, I managed to get diamond on a couple of my guns, and then it was a case of going, "Cool, I've got this. I'm gonna stop playing now because I was only grinding yeah. to get the skin." Um, yeah, and, and then and that's and... sorry, no, carry on. Yeah, no, no, no. I was gonna say, and then all of a sudden. All of a sudden, the incentive to keep playing disappeared. I was like, cool, I've got this thing now, done. Yeah, so that's another reason why I think like the Battle Pass is a more powerful and more widely acceptable like mm. monetization model because, you know, let's say you buy a loot box because you want this skin in that loot box and you buy like two or three of them. Maybe you get it, maybe you don't. But let's say in this case you get it, you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, I got it. And that's the end. Like, that's the end of that journey, right? You can put on that skin, you can go into your game, but that initial interaction with the monetization model starts and ends there at that at that spot, mm. you know? But when it comes to the battle pass, you are, you know, if I don't have a battle pass, I don't have coins to put in this game. It changes the way that, my, it changes my, it's like an add-on experience to the overall experience with the promise of incremental rewards with each game played under the banner of this battle pass. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think that the only key with, with battle passes is that um, one, that the rewards are rewards you want, because um, I know, for example, at the moment, Hearthstone's talking about putting a battle pass mechanic instead of the daily quest thing. And a lot of people are going, cool. We love the idea. Some people hate the idea. And a lot of people are going, it will depend on what the rewards are because, you know, if what you're doing is because a lot of people, what they do is they, they grind and get their daily quest. So they have cash to buy like a hundred packs at the launch of the next one and then grind again. You know, they're almost always grinding for the next expansion. Once expansions out, they drop all their cash on that expansion. They move on. But if suddenly you're going, no, now it's a battle pass. And instead of gold, we're going to give you all these things like Hostin's got like hero portraits. So instead of a, this hunter, you've got a different hunter. But a lot of people are like, I don't want that. I want card, I want gold so I can buy card packs. And so you might be going, Yeah, but the the portraits are worth twenty dollars each and cards are only worth X. Um, so it's it's not it's not, you know, we're giving you more value, but you're like, yeah. you're determining the value. You've determined that a portrait is twenty dollars, you know, like whereas a card pack is worth something else to me. So that's the one thing. And the other is that the the leveling up is um is worth the grind, if you know what I mean. That's one thing I yeah. struggle with, for example, with the Dota Battle Pass, is that you can only really level up by winning games, and not only winning games, but winning games and betting on them. There's no, yeah. you know, you could play a thousand games, and if you lose them all, you will not grind a single level. Like, there's no way of really getting sure. ahead because you've got to win games. Um, and so then it can, you can get into a kind of um, what feels like a treadmill kind of grind where, like, you just... You're running, you're playing the game, but you're getting no closer to your goal. Um, but yeah, I think we've touched on a lot of the different areas. Um, it's difficult to kind of jump into any of them with any kind of gusto without this being this magnum opus three-hour podcast. <laughs> but, yeah. but I think um, for you, is there a kind of preferred model uh, in, terms of, in terms of payment? I mean, as, a, as an aging gamer and a traditionalist, mm. my preferred model is I'll pay the I'll pay the base is the traditional model, right? It's I'll 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 pay the the base um, for the base game, 
and maybe there's an expansion. If I like the game, I'll buy that too. I've done that a few times. You know, um, the last one was uh, Marvel Spider-Man. Really enjoyed the base game. Bought all the DLC, enjoyed the DLC. Mm. Same was for, I think, Assassin's Creed Origins. I also bought the DLC because I was like, you know what? Great experience. So much value. I'll pay. I'll pay the studio for a bit more. And, yeah. and I found that I'm comfortable with that where I... As in, like my playing online has sort of like taken a backseat for for a long time now. I'm no longer playing online, so I don't really feel those same kind of the same kind of feelings that might motivate someone towards an in-game purchase. Like I need to catch up my card packs. I mm. need to you know make sure that my in-game avatar is you know is 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 at the pinnacle of um, of swag. You know I, I don't get those feelings because I'm playing mostly offline and I'm kind of isolating myself from these um, like environments that might uh, like cause recurrent user spending. You know, I don't, I very rarely find myself in those ecosystems. And yeah. so I enjoy looking along from the sidelines and pointing at people being like, Oh, lol, you complaining about, you know, a full screen ad in, in your EA game. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. an EA game, you know, <laughs> you know? Shouldn't so have done that. I enjoy talking about these topics from a distance um, much of it makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, I do buy microtransactions like once every year or so in Path of Exile because I feel like I almost owe the company money because of how much value they give me like year yeah. on year. And that's about it. Yeah. I mean, if I'm honest, I don't really have a preferred uh, model. I don't mind the, like you said, as a traditionalist, buying the game and that's it. And I don't have to worry about if I want more, I buy more DLC. For me, it really is what's my least preferred. And that is just the idea that either content is hidden behind paywalls that I can't earn by playing the game more, or that um, it's an and and thing. So mm. you buy the game and there's DLC and there's uh, loot boxes and there's all this sort of stuff. That's that kind of gets my back up against the wall. And then you still have advertising in game and or it's on pre alpha and I bought the full game price and there's no benefit to me investing in your game early. Yeah. I, I think yeah, that just I, that's just greed. It's nothing else but that. That I'm looking at games like Anthem and all that that sold all sorts yeah. of tiered we, versions before the game's even ready to play. Um, yeah, with a value no proposition, yeah. yeah, with a value proposition is like um, buy now, and and you're buying into like a future promise of content. Mm -hmm. You know, we've gotten that that content roadmap argument so much, and we, we we've seen just as many games like abandon that roadmap because they didn't actually meet the sales yeah, targets, targets that 100%. they that they were trying to trying to hit. So yeah, you know, this buy into future value proposition for me like just rings hollow because we've seen it fall flat in its face way too many times yeah yeah 100 uh, percent. because then it becomes like a a kickstarter but without any yeah. of the benefits <laughs> of being a what they call like a founding member you know most of the kickstarters are like fucking buy your indiegogo <laughs> yeah it's like help them. fund our game and then you know you get given even as something as tiny as credits in the you know you know your name in the credit section as something as a small kind of like thank you yeah. but why am i crowdfunding ea you know for pete's sake like <laughs> you're talking like a company with multiple million dollar market cap and offices around the planet you know they they don't need me funding essentially their indiegogo <laughs> with their pre-alpha <laughs> games like it's not how it works 
but yeah, thanks. Thanks as always. It's a, it's a pretty fun topic and something we could definitely uh, spend far more time in. Maybe something we look at uh, to dive into specific areas in a future episode. If you've got any thoughts on your favorite payment model or stuff you don't like, and you know, let's stick away from the normal, like er, DLC is bad stuff. Like we know. Um, but if you've got any thoughts, let us know, message us on Twitter at guru underscore podcast, otherwise at Tim and a fish, or I am at the Gareth woods. As always, we appreciate your comments and we interact with every single one we get, but until next week, thanks a lot, Tim. It's been great. And to all our viewers, go play some games. Ooh, baby.